Good morning and welcome to Conversations with Buddy. We record these podcasts at the rec- podcast recording studio here in Kaiser, Oregon. We drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new story that will impact someone. We hope that someone is you. Please take a moment to give us a review, hit the subscribe button, and also share this podcast episode with your friends, family, and on your favorite social media platform like Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn maybe too. We want to get these messages out to the people and impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I'm excited to introduce my friend, Bryce Funk. Bryce, welcome. Thanks, buddy. Excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. It's uh, And I don't know you well, but we're going to get to know you a lot better today. I've met you a few times. Yeah. I think I saw you recently at a coffee shop with a couple guys. Was it Matt Masser and Rick Saffield? Matt Masser and Rick Saffield. That's a rough crowd, man. Yeah. I'll be praying for you on that one. <laughs> no, I, lo- I love those guys. So oh, they're great. I, I knew uh, that day when we agreed to, to do the podcast, it would be awesome. Oh, yeah. So. Those two guys are incredible. Yeah. Well, so before I introduce you real quick, what, what was your goal there? Because I know you're in video production. What was your what was your goals that morning? Yeah, yeah. So I work in video production. Um, and the goal there, I mean, Rick is does a really great job with all the social media stuff. Mm. And so the goal there is I get to work with Matt Macera and go out in the streets mm. and go out to Wallace Marine Park and be, you know, just out with, with Matt and be able to treat ministries as they're getting to impact people's lives. So just taking what we're capturing there. And getting that to Rick so that Rick can get that out to the rest of the world. It's awesome. Because you're doing the video of mm-hmm. uh, Be Bold Street and then Rick's putting on social media and doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good. new fun partnership. I've I've known Rick for a while and got to see the stuff he's he's done. So it's yeah. fun to circle back and get to yeah. do some more stuff with him again. Yeah, he's a great guy. Well, hey, let me introduce you and uh, get uh, have people get to know who sure. you are. So Bryce, you've been married for four years. Mm-hmm. Who's your wife? Uh, Brooke. Would Brooke you call Funk. her your better half? She is definitely the better okay. half. Maybe the better three quarters. Even. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's even better. I, hopefully Brooke will appreciate that. <laughs> so you and Brooke foster, mm-hmm. uh, you've had the pleasure of fostering uh, your current kiddo, an incredible five-year-old boy uh, for just over one year. What's what's your little boy's name? Yeah, AJ. AJ. How, oh, he's, he's five. Yeah, okay. just turned five. Cool. We'll talk about that, the fostering. Uh, you've grown up in church and very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you currently work in video production, as we just talked about, mm-hmm. focusing mainly on documentary, film, and stories in hard-to-reach places, overseas, the homeless community, etc. God is doing incredible things with uh, the next generation through media. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. I wasn't always in media. My degree was in applied mathematics, but I left academia in my last semester of grad school. That's interesting. You made all that way. Yep. I'm sure there's a story. <laughs> there's a story for sure. And then, so here's a question for you. So your favorite passages of scripture are 1 Kings 19 mm. and James 127. What does 1 Kings 19 say? So 1 Kings 19, uh, Elijah's fleeing. Uh, there's a, a beautiful lead up to it. Uh, he's out in the desert. He takes a nap, you know, an angel wakes him up and is like, you got a long journey, eat some food. He goes a little farther and ends up in a cave. And the, the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, go up on this mountain. I'm, you know, I'm going to pass by you. You know, and there's there's a great fire, there's an earthquake, um, there's a great wind, and the Lord's not in any of that. Hmm. But all of that fades away, and there's a the Lord shows up as a gentle whisper. And uh, I remember my high school. I grew I grew up in Southern California. I was in a like a high school youth group down there. And I remember one one like Wednesday night at youth group. You know, we were talking about silence and solitude, and so we read First Kings nineteen, and then the the church was kind of nestled up like almost up in the hills above the town. 
Um, and so there was just a ton of just, just open land behind the church. And so it was like, Hey, like we're going to read this and then just go walk around and, and have some quiet time. And up until that point, I'd never really felt like, you know, God really like spoke like a, like a tangible or like audible word mm -hmm. to me. And I just remember like sitting there, just walking around, you know, I've always spent a lot of time outside and backpacking and, and all that stuff. And I just remember walking around in the forest there. And I just remember there was this like silence and stillness and this quiet that was, you know, like you can sit in a quiet room and it's quiet, but you know, when there's this, this like absolute stillness and silence that after reading that passage, I was like, you know, this can only be from one thing mm -hmm. and just, you know, just like an incredible joy and just comfort, you know, that I felt in that silence. And so that scripture for me, I think, and like the hardest things I've gone through in life, like seeking out that solitude and that silence has mm. been a big thing, a big thing for me. Yeah. What's Psalm 4610 say? It says, be still mm. and know that I'm Lord, you know, or stop striving. Yeah. Be quiet. Listen, yeah. we're so fast paced, man. Go, 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 go. Totally. We actually don't listen to really what God is speaking to us Amen. through his word. Amen. Okay. James one twenty seven. What does that one say? Oh man, that's a beautiful one. I have it open because oh, the last oh, thing I want to do. Love last it. thing I want to do is misquote this one. Uh, so it's it's at the very end of this first chapter of James, and James just kind of he doesn't hold any punches. He just kind of op opens up chapter one. You know, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Mm. And I think that was the passage for my wife and I that really stirred our hearts to get into foster care. Yeah. Um, and then even just kind of expanding our, uh, our side of like, who's an orphan, you know, like, you know, all, a lot of the new Testament talks about being like adopted into sonship, Amen. you know? And so, you know, obviously we have a kiddo in our home right now yeah. who's, you know, who's in the DHS foster care system. Um, but also, I mean, there's, there's so many people out in our community that are, that are spiritual orphans. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. How do we look or spiritual widows? Yeah. You know, how do we look after those people and keep ourselves unstained? Unstained. Yeah. That is a great verse, man. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you. You grew up in Southern California. I did. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we won't hold that against you. It's all good, but you're here in Oregon now. Yeah. It's all good. Walk us through that journey of, you know. I know something happened around what age seven. Yeah. So yeah. walk us through where you're born, what town you lived in. And, totally. And I, I think you guys were. You'll probably get to it, but I think your dad was a 49er fan or something like that. My dad was a 49er fan. You know, I I think was might be an important distinction there. I don't know if he still is. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> All right. So I just know the story. So where totally. did you grow up and? And there's a story. Yeah, there. so I grew up, I was born in a little town called Claremont. It's like 30 miles southeast of Los Angeles. It's nestled right at the base of the San Gabriel Mountains. So I'd uh, open up like my front door and walk outside and there's the tallest mountain. And one of the tallest mountains in Southern California was was like right, right outside my window. Um, but I grew up, uh, I grew up, I have two younger brothers. Uh, my parents have been married for like over 30 years now. Mm. Uh, but when I was seven, my dad was in law enforcement. Um, and after almost 20 years on duty, he was in a motorcycle accident, uh, messed up both of his wrists. Um, and for, for about a year, like he couldn't even, you know, like hold like a two liter bottle of soda and like mm -hmm. pour it out, you know, his, his wrists were pretty messed up. Um, 
But, the, you know, for me as a seven-year-old, I'm like, sweet, dad's home all the time. <laughs> you know, it was a it was a really cool, I think, era of my life. Um, and looking back, like, my dad was always at, you know, all of our soccer games, all, all of, all of cool our events. a cool dad, man. Totally, yeah. It was it was really cool to to be able to have him there. But, you know, there's, you know, the struggle in the background of, like, you know, it's it's hard for dad to work right now, you know? And so that was a... I was a little bit of a struggle. And I, I think looking back, you know, I think so much of who I am today is because of that. You know, my uh, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad and my dad's brother, you know, they were all in photography. My my grandfather actually took photography from Ansel Adams at the L.A. Art Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's some some really cool stories of 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 seeing this thread of media and photography throughout my, you know, throughout the generations of my family. So after my dad was injured, um, about a year later, he started working in stock and assignment photography, which, you know, this is like at the transition of film into digital. And so it was really, you know, I, I remember, you know, going on shoots and like, you know, helping move, you know, get gear out of the closet and help load it up. And then, you know, everything, you know, my world growing up was all, you know, a lot of photography and a lot of video and a lot of just media and creating things. And, uh, and so, but I, I think something's, you know, uh, the big impact in my life, I would say, and I think, you know, leading to my dad being a 49ers fan <laughs> is no matter how hard, you know, anything got with, you know, financially, cause I mean, he would, you know, I think the accident was in like 2003. So like five years later is 2008. You know, and so that there's a lot of stuff happening there for everyone, you know. Yes. And so I remember, um, I remember every single Sunday, my dad had this this leather checkbook cover that, you know, was a 49ers checkbook cover. And he would he would pull it out, you know, of his pocket at church every Sunday and he'd write a check and he would, he would either put it in the plate or he would give it to one of uh, either me or one of my brothers to put in the plate. Hmm. And that was no matter how hard anything got every Sunday, just that, that faithfulness of, you know, the Lord's going to provide. And so now I remember, you know, I'd always think about that moment, but never really realized how much that imparted into me until it was the first week. AJ's actually, we've had a total of three foster kiddos and AJ's been, we've had him, we got certified and got AJ on the same day. And so we've had him and a couple others. Um, and I remember the first week we had him, he, you know, I had some book in my hand. It was like a cookbook or something. And I, and I'd closed it and just kind of tossed it on the, the couch. And he picked it up and just kind of like threw it on the couch. And I was like, oh, hey, bud, like, let's not, let's not toss books around. That's not, that's not good for the book. It's going to hurt the book. And he's like, oh, I'm just trying to copy you. And I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> you know, like kids are watching every single thing you do. And so I don't think I really realized like seeing my dad, and seeing my parents and their faithfulness growing up, like I, I took in all of that, you know, and so much of, of how my parents raised me and how my parents lived. So much of that is ingrained in who I am today. Hmm. So, yeah. So what it sounds like is words are important, but actions are even more important. Totally. Specifically yeah. for kids in this area. Area. Uh, I want to hear more about that story, but let's. So you grew up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. When do you move to Oregon? Yeah, so we moved to Oregon in 2012. So I've been here for a little over 10 years now. Yeah, okay. Um, and it was one of those things that was just really cool to see God's provision. Yeah. Um, my parents' plan was to to retire uh, the east side of Central California in, in Bishop. And uh, I remember like back like t- 2010, 2011, we were talking about Oregon because we had gone. One cool thing about my parents being photographers is back in that era of photography, you'd get like an email of like from a, a magazine or a, 
or a stock company, they'd be like, hey, we need photos of these three things. And so, you know, my parents were not ashamed of taking the kids out of school. <laughs> so it. they'd load us all up, load us all with camera gear, and we'd go on family trips all the time. We'd take two, three weeks in the summer. And two summers in a row, we came up and did like a Pacific Northwest. Mm. We did a Pacific Northwest one, like up into Washington and the Olympic Peninsula. And then the next year, we just did Oregon. And I remember um, my dad, my dad grew up in SoCal. Like my my mom was a, she's a pastor's kid. She, they moved everywhere. Um, I mean, she's been at all 50 states and she's lived in like 15 of them. But my dad grew up in Pomona, which is right next to Claremont. And he, I mean, he lived in the same like five mile radius his whole life. Wow. And uh, his parents owned a TV shop in the downtown. And so, I mean, he loved, you know, kind of that, you know, you think of like you, you watch a movie, you know, that takes place in the 80s, like that golden era of like of the downtown scene. And uh, I remember we went, we uh, were on a road trip up here and we stopped in Corvallis. And my dad was like, this feels like Claremont's downtown did mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so we were looking at houses. Um, I was in Boy Scouts. I did my Eagle Scout project in Yosemite. And then we took a road trip up here to yeah. look at houses in Corvallis. Um, and I remember looking at stuff and didn't find anything. But then the realtor was like, hey, we've got, we know you weren't looking in Salem, but we found this house in Salem. Uh, you should check it out. My my dad flew up, checked it out. And we we're like, sold. And moved Done. up here. Yeah. Awesome. 2012. Okay. 2012. Yeah. And they obviously got a good deal on a home because I was right at the very tail end of the crash and yeah. the market was probably still very low back then. It was good, man. They were super blessed to have that. And yeah. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you were at that point in time, so I was 11 years ago, what, you're 15? Yeah. I was like middle of high school, tail end of high school. So I went, I did most of my, you know, all my schooling in SoCal then. And then when we moved up here, uh, I was like, I just want to be homeschooled. You know, I don't yeah, want to. Yeah. I want to do with going to high school again, first day of high school again. I don't want to do that. No, thank you. <laughs> so, you last couple of years, you're homeschooled, yep. graduated. Um, wh 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 where did you go to college at? Yeah. So, I went to I went to Chemeketa. Okay. Which, so I, I started Chemeketa like my last year of high school, which is great. Met a lot of really good people there. Yeah. Um, got involved with multicultural student services, met some believers there. And yeah. so, it was, it was a really good. Really good move going there. And then did one year at Oregon State after uh, finishing everything up at Chemeketa. And Go then actually, Beads. yeah. And then, hey, I see you got that shirt on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then transferred out to Memphis and finished my degree in Memphis. Um, and that, that the story attached to that is my, my wife was getting her master's in Memphis. We weren't married at the time. We weren't actually engaged at the time. But I was like, I want to marry you, so I'm going to go to Memphis. Um, <laughs> and so I went out there, finished my degree, and that's where I started my master's. Yeah. Well, how did you meet your wife? Or Okay, you started dating her. She's And she lives where? Does she live in Oregon? Yep, yeah. So my wife went to Corbin. Uh, so she finished up, and then she stuck around here. And then mm -hmm. we met. We were both working at uh, REI, the okay. outdoor, outdoor gear store in, yeah. in Kaiser there. We both met there, and uh, we started dating like seven years ago now. Yeah, so we met there, dated for a few years. We'd actually, we had broken up for like three or four months. Yeah. And then ended up working a bunch of stuff out, you know, figuring out what we wanted and then getting back together. And as we're, you know, like broken up, getting back together, um, she's like auditioning for, for universities to get her master's in violin performance. And so... As she's, you know, trying to find places to go, I'm like in the, you know, behind the scenes, like, can I get my degree mm -hmm, here too? Mm -hmm. And so 
so she ends up go uh, getting accepted and getting a, a really good scholarship to University of Memphis. And so, wow. yeah. Tennessee's pretty cool, isn't it? It was interesting. It's not a place I think I would live again. Okay. But I'm very thankful for the two years we had in Memphis. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's out there getting her master's uh, in violin performance. Yep. You're also working on your master's. I was also working on my master's. Yeah. What was your undergraduate degree in? It was applied math as well. Oh, that's right. Applied math. Mm-hmm. And then- the master's, what was that? Also in applied math? Yeah, or? master's is applied math. Um, my goal for the longest time, you know, before I got into media was yeah. I, I loved math. I loved how, um, I mean, going back to my, you know, all the things my dad has imparted into me. When my dad was in law enforcement. He did accident reconstruction, which is like showing up to a crash. Mm, what happened? And doing a bunch of math and figuring out how fast was this person going, you know, what, what was happening. And so, you know... That was a cool introduction to me of how math can actually be useful and mm-hmm. not just like John has 47 watermelons and he does this, what, ha- you know, <laughs> so never, sorry problem. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so that was a really cool introduction. I remember my, uh, my first math professor at Chemeketa, I just remember being in his class and he just presented math. He, he'd open up every single class with like a, a weird math, like fact or like fun problem that answered a cool thing. And so I remember being like, yeah, this is really cool. This is what I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, so I went out there, did applied math in my undergrad, and then my graduate degree was also going to be in applied math. Yeah. So. So your goal was to kind of maybe follow in dad's steps and be a cop and uh, do accident, uh, whatever you called that. You know, that I, I thought that would have been interesting, but my main goal was, I like, I love being outside. You know, when I worked at REI, uh, I was I was a guide for them. So I actually worked out of the Salem store, but also up in the Portland store and got mm-hmm. to take people out to Smith Rock, guide people up Mount St. Helens. And so I really wanted to take math and like apply it to the natural world. So I was studying how basically how like sediment is deposited in rivers as rivers flow. Um, so it was super interesting work. And so the the university was paying for my degree. So I basically had to, I had to finish my thesis in like two more classes. This was in my last semester. And in, you know, in as I was working through grad school, just to kind of help make some money, I'd picked up a camera and was doing portraits of musicians. Um, I mean, my wife is in the music department and all these musicians are, you know, creating their websites and, yeah. you know, you know, sending out to go to other universities or get gigs or whatever. So I started, you know, Memphis is a beautiful city, tons of old architecture. And so it's a really fun way to, to go out and photograph people. And uh, photographing musicians is interesting because, you know, you're photographing, there's a person in the frame, but, you know, there's also an instrument. And so you're trying to capture, you know, what's this person's relationship with their, mm. you know, their saxophone or their violin or their yeah. cello or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it was a really fun and you just get to talk to people and hear, you know, a lot of these musicians have been playing since they were like five, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. So they got a lot of history and a lot of really cool stories. And I just really loved that. And so my second to last semester you know, I started being like, you know, what if I did more of this and just kind of asking that. And, but I, I was still like, math, you know, math is where I'm going. This is the thing. Like math was the thing that got me up in the morning. And I remember one day towards the end of the semester, just kind of praying through like, God, what do you really want me to do with my life? Because the stuff with this camera seems to really be, you know, really be taken off. And mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what you want me to do. And I just remember waking up one day and it was like, I could not care less about mathematics. Hmm. It was like, you know, it, you know, I, the, the only explanation is God, you know, cause it, it was very much this like, wow, you, t- you took that passion away. It is gone. You know, I could, and I was like, you know, it's the middle of semester, right? I got to yeah. finish this, you know? Yeah. And, uh, made it through that semester and then, uh, 
that would have been the fall. So winter break, we flew back to flew back to Salem to spend Christmas with our families. Mm -hmm. And uh, my uncle passed away, my dad's brother. And so my wife and I ended up driving down. Uh, he he still lived in SoCal. We ended up driving down to SoCal to help my dad with some stuff. And I was like, you know, babe, if it's okay, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay behind with my dad. Yeah. She was like, absolutely. And so she flew back to Memphis, and I. I stayed in California for a couple of weeks and emailed my professors and was like, I'm sorry guys, I'm not, I'm not coming back. And Whoa. so that was the, that was the moment where I was like, this is, I guess it's media. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it, it, you know, it, I, and I still think at that time I, I had the fail safe of like, I have a bachelor's degree, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I've got one semester left. If something, you know, if I was like, oh man, that's not what God was saying. I could go back, you know, but it was this moment of like, I'm, I'm not finishing this semester, yeah. you know, and, and then, uh, my wife finished up her stuff and yeah. we moved back to Salem and yeah. haven't looked, haven't opened up a math textbook since. <laughs> okay. So you're in Southern California realizing you're not going to finish your, your mathematics, um, degree. Mm -hmm. When do you and your wife get married? When do you propose and oh, when you get yeah. married, where, where do you get married? Yeah, yeah. So that's a, actually a really, a really good story. Um, so before we left for Memphis, um, you know, we we were uh, we had broken up for a while. Yeah. We still stayed in contact. We we're still meeting, probably. You know, we took a month. We didn't talk, but then we were still meeting. Yeah. A couple times a week and just yeah. talking through, like, you know, I did this wrong and you did this thing <laughs> and it hurt me, and what? so ended up working out a bunch of stuff. And uh, I, you know, I had this crazy experience one night where you know. When we had broken up every single day, I, I just wrote her a little letter. And I uh, did that every night before bed. And um, I'd written her a letter and then just kind of prayed and journaled some stuff. And I, I remember it, it was the most like distinct, like the mo like the, the biggest place I think God has showed up even to this day um, where I go to sleep that night. And uh, I had this I had this dream. It, it was a surreal dream where we had we'd been texting my wife and I or my uh, we were dating at the time, obviously. Uh, we had been texting and we were going to meet it. Uh, we we're going to meet up the next day. Yeah, here in Salem. Here in Salem. Yeah. yeah. So we're still in Salem at this point. And uh, we were planning on meeting up the next day and we hadn't hadn't planned it at anywhere we were going to meet or whatever. And uh, I had this dream where we were meeting at Riverfront, you know, could see her super vividly. Um, and there's like no, like, there's no sound. I could just see her. We're, we're very obviously at Riverfront. Um, and uh, then I heard God say, you know, like, when you see her tomorrow, tell her this. And it wasn't anything like mind blowing, you know, and I, I, I should have looked it up. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, he's like, tell her this. And then I woke up and my journal was right there. And he's like, write it down. So I woke up, wrote it down. I was like, that's weird. And then went back to sleep. And so she texted me the next morning. She was like, hey, how about we meet at Riverfront today? <laughs> and which is funny because we had a lot of hard conversations at Riverfront. So we'd never we, like, that was not usually a place she would ask to go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, okay. Riverfront. And then she rolls up and she's wearing the exact same thing she's wearing in the dream. And I'm like, this is weird. And then at some point in that conversation, I ended up saying what God had asked me to say. And not like there wasn't like a, like a lightning from heaven or anything or a bright flash, but I said it. And then we finished up, got in my car and I was like, okay, what's going to happen? And it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that we ended up getting back together. And then even months later, I think after we had actually gotten engaged, where she was like, that one day at Riverfront, you said something. And that was the moment where, like, 
I thought we should get back together. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, that came from a dream I had, you know, so that was really cool. But we, so we got married. So all that to say, I, I felt like God was telling me like, if you, you guys are going to get back together, you're going to marry this girl. Mm. Uh, so before we moved to Memphis, we're not engaged or anything. I had a ring made, uh, Mike Perchenko, uh, made my wife's ring. So picked that up, left it in Salem because I knew if I had it with me, I would not wait to propose. Uh-huh. And so we had planned, uh, her, or her brother, oldest brother was stationed in Germany. So we were going to go visit them yeah. over Christmas break. And I was like, oh, it's perfect. I haven't met him yet. I'll meet him. I'll propose over there. It'll be beautiful. Uh, we were going to the Canary Islands. And right before we were supposed to leave, like six weeks before, um, uh, I had ended up proposing. I had ended up proposing in, we were living in Memphis. I proposed there. Just couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. Good for you. Yeah. And so we were, um, we were all set to go to the Canary Islands. And then we looked at our itinerary and they had accidentally canceled one of our flights. We were stuck in the Azores. These like this tiny island chain in the middle of the Atlantic. We were going to be stuck there for five days. And so they were like, well, we can totally refund you. We can move your trip up and do some stuff. Or we'll pay for you to stay on the Azores for five days. And we were like, that mm-hmm. sounds like a cool option. So we ended up, you know, talking figuring stuff out. We knew we wanted to get married. My wife had the best roommate yeah. uh, who ended up, they're still some of our closest friends to this day. So we ended up, my grandfather who lives in Illinois, was a pastor. He came down, married us, we eloped, and then took a little free honeymoon. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it's, it's a good story. That was yeah. a great story. You guys get married. Uh, you're you're now living in Salem. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married again? Four years. Four years. When did you decide to begin to foster kids mm. you know it, it actually started before we got married we were at church on the hill on on mother's day and we'd always you know kind of in our relationship talked about like we'd love to adopt or you know like we we've never really felt like god has called us like we like you know i want you to have you know natural born kids yeah. you know we've never never really felt like we've had that call or had that desire mm-hmm. but there was a mother's day at church on the hill where they had set up a panel of of moms that were speaking. And one of those moms was Malia Witham. Uh, she's a case manager over at Salem Angels right now. Yeah. And at the time, she they had just taken, her and her husband had just taken in like three infants, like all under a year uh, out of the foster system. And she gave a super impactful uh, message on the panel of like, hey, like there's a huge need. Like right now in Oregon, there's almost... There's half as many foster homes as there are foster kids, you know? So you just think about that. Like we only have one kiddo in our home, but that means there has to be homes with multiple kiddos and those people, you know, we need more homes and those homes need support. And so there's this whole like, you know, like Salem Angels does great work. I know Valor just picked up Safe Families. And so Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's this whole, you know, there's such a big need for people that can help they can help in the foster system because these these kids, these orphans need, you know, they need loving homes, you know. This goes back to your verse in James 1, 127, take care of the orphans and widows. I mean. Totally. I get it, man. And you have a heart for that. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. And you've had him for. We've had him for a year. For one year. Yeah. He's five, so he got him at four. Yep. Sounds like he's just a great kid. He's he's awesome. We, it, you know, it was a crazy transition for us. We, um. We ended up, we were in Scotland last year at the end of February. So we had, we had started in 20, oh my goodness, in 2021, we started the yeah. process of working with DHS to get, you know, there's like eight training classes you have to do. There's a pretty extensive interview process and a home study process. And that took us 
a little over six months to okay. go through, or just just the application process takes six months, and it was another six months to finish up all the classes and finish the application process. So it's like it is time consuming, and so we had, you know, we were nearing the end of our six months that expired while we were in Scotland, and so we ended up uh, we got we got home from Scotland on like a Monday night, so we got home at like Tuesday morning, like two a.m. I started working at Church on the Hill Tuesday at 10, showed up for a staff meeting, and then the next week we got AJ, our kiddo. Yeah, we got uh, we got a text from our certifier that was like, hey, you're certified, you're all good to go, you're in the system now. And then at 4 p.m. she called us back and was like, hey, we've got a kiddo, a four-year-old little boy, like, are you guys interested? Oh my goodness. And we're like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> you better be you ready. Know, the, you know, every, it's hot off the press and, you huh. know. Yeah, I still I still remember we were living in a uh, we were living in a uh, apartment at the time yeah. on the top floor. Yeah, and I still remember the case manager pulling in and AJ getting out, and putting on his backpack, and just kind of like walking up the stairs and like walked in, like took his backpack out. He's the if you ever meet him, he's the politest kid you'll ever meet. I want to meet AJ. He walks in, takes off his shoes, takes off his backpack. I was like, hi, I'm AJ. He, he's like he'll shake your hand. Like he Sweet is the kid. he's the politest little kid. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, love him to death. Wow. Will yeah. you guys eventually adopt him then as your own or what will that look like? What's oh man, that's a that's a convoluted story. So I, I won't get too much into it because it'll take up a ton of time. No, no. Uh, but so DHS, there's um, there's this act called the Adoptive and Safe Families Act. And it, yeah. it basically stipulates that if, if a kiddo's in care for like 15 to the last 22 months, they're supposed to go into adoption. Uh, it's basically, you know, th mm -hmm. that part of the act just tries to keep kids out of care and get them in safe homes as, as quick as possible. There's a little caveat in there, um, uh, you know, about DHS or mm -hmm. whatever agency making reasonable efforts with uh, with birth parents and all that stuff. And so in Oregon, there's basically three types of permanency. Uh, there's there's adoption. Most people are familiar with adoption, but there's also guardianship and there's mm -hmm. durable and permanent guardianship. Um and so AJ's AJ will go into like a durable guardianship, okay. um, which means there's still like mediated contact with his family and all that stuff. So Got it's it. not quite adoption, but in theory, he'll get to be in our home for hopefully ever. But yeah. Well, let's keep praying through that. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Man, the system, you know, it's one of the, you know, there's a lot of folks that will talk about like, it's so broken, it's so broken. But, you know, the more, the more you flood that system with good people, mm -hmm. you know, the less broken the system there seems. There you go. So showing up yeah so encouraging people out there to pray about getting involved in fostering kids totally yeah or even i mean there's so many other ways to support you know like salem angels you know they have um what salem angels does is they they come in and they partner foster families foster homes with uh they're called love box families mm -hmm. like essentially I don't want to speak on their behalf but essentially essentially you know like families or individuals that are willing to you know you know, bring meals or do some respite care or babysitting yeah. just to help give foster parents a relief. That's been super nice. We have a love box family and then even like safe families. I know like Isaiah Burrell is taking on a lot of that, just helping mm -hmm. out, you know, coming alongside, you know, parents with yeah. kids and, and kiddos and making sure that, you know, like parents are mentored and, and just kind of shored up in every way they need to be so that they don't lose their kiddos and those kiddos go into the system. And so they, you know, they can get a break you know, when they need a break and they can get the help that they need. So there's tons of ways that you can help in the system without actually having to get into, you know, deep into the system. Yeah. When we get toward the end of it, I'll get your contact information so somebody could actually reach out, maybe have a conversation with how they would get involved in fostering or come alongside Absolutely. of a foster family, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. 
Well, this has been cool. Let's talk a little bit about what you do for a career. Totally. You mentioned that you were at a staff meeting at Church on the Hill. Yeah. I know you do video, media. Do you also work at Church on the Hill? I, I did work at Church on the Hill for about a year mm-hmm. uh, when uh, their previous creative director stepped down and I stepped in, you know, as an interim spot there. Yeah. Uh, worked there for about a year. You know, I got to be with Bruce and Jason all the time. Love those guys, man. Pastor Bruce, Pastor Jason. Man, they're such awesome good. Guys. They're such good folks. And I mean, the staff there is just, incredible you know i think and it was so cool for me i mean i've grown up in church to really see like uh the office admin there Mm. uh, tessa patterson just the amount of work that she puts in to like help pull off a sunday with volunteers and like watching you know all the kids ministry run and the youth groups and like all that it's there's so much that happens to make your church run so Mm. it was really cool to see that but i think ultimately um i I love, I love working on my own. You know, I, 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 organizations are great. I'm just one of those people that I, I need, I need a new project all the time to, you know, keep my brain stimulated. You you don't want to just go and click the clock and punch in and clock out and be done. You, you're more creative than that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, stepped down from church on the hill in January. Um, before I stepped into church of 2023, 2023. Yeah. So I've been out for just a couple months now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So before that, I was in, I was full-time in freelance. And even while I was at Church on the Hill, I was still keeping up a lot of my freelance work. And so now back into freelance, um, I really focus on, I really focus on documentary style videos. Um, And no, I really like to sit people down and tell their story. And I love, I love long form content. I love just being able to put someone in front of a camera and just, you know, figure out, I mean, every single person you meet on the street has a story. You know, but it's it's trying to tell that in a way that's interesting, you know, in a way that really captivates and mm-hmm. really shows. I mean, my I feel like God has spoken to me, you know, my calling, you know, my calling in life is to is to use media to help people experience the gospel, you know. That's awesome. And so I think that's pulled me. That's why I know Matt Macera really well mm-hmm. and, and get to spend a lot of time with Matt and Josh, you yeah. know, out in the homeless communities, because, I mean, you know, those folks have just some incredible stories of where where God has showed up. You yeah. know, because there's a lot of a lot of folks you see on the streets do know Jesus, yeah. you know, and have experienced him, but they're just, you know, they're still out there. Yeah, so. still searching and seeking and trying yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Who's an ideal client for you? I mean, you, you actually mentioned like Be Bold would be a documentary style. Yeah. Is it, um, is it anybody though? Is it a person? Is it a company? Is it, is it a ministry? You know, I, I think, hmm, that's a really good question. You know, I would... I would say my ideal client, I mean, obviously I have to put food on the table, right? Gotta so, make money. Yeah. So I, I love people that I can work with that um, that tell a story that, you know, like they're, what they do has a story and has a, that's why I tend to work with a lot of nonprofits because a lot of what they do has, just has a beautiful story and, you know, and you can look at, you know, you know, what are you doing and how are you impacting the world and, and bringing the kingdom down to earth? So, but I also, I mean, I do a lot of stuff. Um, maybe pro bono, or I feel like God brings stories into my life. Like mm-hmm. end of May, uh, myself and my, my friend Ryan Unger, who's been a missionary with YWAM for like almost 20 years. Uh, he and I are heading out to Africa, uh, to wow. tell, to tell two, two stories, two documentaries there that God just kind of brought into our lap. And we both felt like he's calling us to go. And so we're kind of going out there as, as independents just yeah. to tell these stories. Yeah. What a cool thing. How do you fundraise for that? How do you make the money to pay for that? It's obviously expensive. Totally. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, I think 
This one's been interesting. Church on the Hill was able to support us a little bit yeah. to get some plane tickets because flying to Africa is not cheap. Yeah. The nice thing is being in Africa is kind of cheap. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's a pretty inexpensive trip um, once we're on the ground. But I mean, Church on the Hill supported us to get some plane tickets. Yeah. Um, and then we're working with an organization uh, called Path International. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're based out of Bend. They do like sponsor child programs in northern Uganda and Ethiopia. Yeah. And so they're helping us. They got us, uh, actually someone on their board got us connected to uh, this gentleman, Derek. He's got a beautiful story. Um, uh, he, he tried to commit suicide when he was, uh, when he was a young teen, mm-hmm. got exiled from his family, was homeless on the streets of Kampala, the capital city, for almost 10 years. Wow. Um, and then one day was just starving and remembered, uh, remember going to a church, a local church. And so he showed up at this pastor's house you know, had a meal with the pastors. And then at the end of the meal, they were like, Hey, we want you to stay here. You know, we want you to live with us. So we lived there for a year. And then they asked them like, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? You know, what, you know, what is your goal? And he was like, I want to start an orphanage. And so he just did hmm. just like, no, you know, he felt like he's like, I think God's asking me to start an orphanage. And so he's been able to be discipled a little bit. Um, and we know some missionaries that spend half the year in Uganda, half the year here that were able to go meet him and check out his ministry and like mm. see that it's, you know, legit. Yeah. But this guy who just felt like God asked him to start an orphanage, just start an orphanage. He's got very little support, but he's got 52 kids that he takes care of every day, you know? So, and, and just, I mean, the story of just his story is beautiful. And then um, the gal who's on the board of Path International, they sponsor a kid who just so happens to live in the town where Derek is, Masaka. And the kid they sponsor, his phone died. And so he borrowed Derek's phone to text this gal. And so she was like, you know, who, who's this person? Who, you know, whose phone are you borrowing? And uh, so that's how she got introduced to Derek. Yeah. And then we met Derek, at, or we met this gal, Katie. We met her at my best friend's wedding. Um you know, her and my wife were sitting next to each other. I was in the wedding and they did the, you know, like, what did your husband do? And Brooke was like, you know, oh, my husband does documentary films. And she's like, no way. We've been praying for someone to tell this guy's story. So just like how God has showed up every single step of the way in this project has been so, so, so cool. There And there is no coincidence. No. I mean, no. the world is big. Totally. Seven billion people in the world. Yep. And there's no coincidence. Nope. God knows every single one of them. He knows their hearts and... Yeah, through, you know, through Derek and this kid that these folks sponsor, mm-hmm. you know, through Katie on the board, you know, down to us, like God, God knew what needed to happen. And it's been, man, it's been two years in the making trying to get out there. You know, we were trying to get out there back in September, October, and they had yeah. an Ebola outbreak. So we had to postpone till now. And it's, I mean, God just shows up every single step of the way. So yeah. Sounds like God's about ready to change your life a little bit more as you head there and have faith doing yeah. what you're doing there. And I can't wait to see the documentary that you, yeah. you put out. It's going to be great. Uh, we've, yeah, we really feel like God's moving. And man, his 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 plans are always so much bigger than ours. You know, mm. every step of the way, he's like, you're just, you're not quite dreaming big enough. You know, it's we, beautiful. We impose ourselves with self-limiting beliefs and God is God Amen. can do all things. Amen. Yet we, we look at ourselves as though we can't, but mm-hmm. God... If we just look at God, God can do all things. Amen. Yeah. Well, this is really cool. Um, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but sure. how would somebody reach out to you and learn a little bit more about, you know, video production, media, really how totally. to maybe, well, hire you possibly. Sure. 
uh, to learn more about you, how to come alongside you, how to watch a documentary that you put together. Totally. Uh, like you've done one with Matt Macera, Be Bold uh, Street Ministry. Yep. How do we go see that documentary? Is totally. that out? Yeah, so that's all out. Uh, so the the production company that I run is called High Sierra Collective. Um, so you can find us where uh, we have a website and all that stuff. So the documentary we shot with them down in Costa Rica yeah. and some other little things we've done with them and other projects are are all on all on the website. So. I'm going to put those in the show notes so somebody can just click on the link and learn more about you. If they want to reach out to you, I'm sure they can just message you. Absolutely. Through, yeah. through that. Yeah, totally. Love. I mean, I love sitting down and talking to people. And I mean, yeah. everyone's got a story. You know, everyone's got something to bring to the table. So just, I, I love sitting down with people in here. And I mean, every person who's listening to this woke up this morning because of the grace of God. Amen. You know, every single person's got a testimony of what God has done in their life. You know, regardless of if they choose to to see that or not, you know, like yeah. just the common grace of like we have breath in our lungs right now, you know. So I, I love sitting down with people and just hearing, you know, how God shows up. It's been my passion. That's why I, I do this thing called Conversation with Buddy. Totally. Because I really want to hear people's story. Everybody has a story and um, it's the thing I love most. Yeah. Amen. And we know that in what Second Corinthians 12, 9, that... Jesus uh, told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for powers perfected in weakness. Mm -hmm. And remember, mm -hmm. it's God's grace. It's his grace that helped us wake up this morning. And then what are we going to do with that? Yeah. Amen. So, well, brother, Bryce, thanks for being a part of this show. Buddy, thank you so much. And thank you for what you guys do. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you for your listeners out there listening to this podcast. Again, we'd love to have you share it with family and friends and get back to us and let us know how it's impacted you or somebody you know. If you want to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you. And uh, just reach out. My email is buddyp7 at gmail.com. If you'd love to be a part of our Patreon group and help maybe fund uh, this ministry, we'd love to uh, hear from you as well. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.